Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Get Into It with Gila. Today, I interviewed Rachel Cohen. Um, I just want to put out a trigger warning that we definitely talk openly about some of the painful things in her life, including having an eating disorder, um, and we get we go into some great detail. So if you are um, in the midst of recovery from eating disorder, I would say maybe this is not the right time to listen to this. Um, but Rachel and I were talking before putting it out and, you know, she was just saying I would hate to trigger anyone. And I said that, um, this is why there's trigger warnings and, uh, listeners discretion is advised. Um, I also think that it's important for moms to listen to this story and just people in general who struggle with body image issues, um, sometimes a eating disorder never starts from just, you know, a child getting a lot of attention from not eating, but it definitely could be a major factor. And I've seen that many times, even with my clients who are in their 40s or 50s, they still go back to a time that they were in their teens when that started happening. And myself included, actually, that's when that, that was when my eat, disordered eating really got, it became, was really at its peak when people were really noticing the way that I was eating and giving me attention for it. So it's just important. Um, and uh, it's been a while since I put out a podcast, Yantiv, and the last few weeks have been really chaotic over here. And I've heard that from basically everyone I spoke to. So just allowing space for breaks, allowing space for life, normalcy, regular um, patterns of life. I will continue to try to put out a podcast once a week or every other week. If you have any special requests for people you want me to interview or topics you want to hear, feel free to reach out. Uh, Visit my website, www.gulaglassberg.com to see more episodes like this, see more blog posts, um, different content that I have. Follow me on Instagram at gila.glassberg.intuitive.rd. And if you're looking to make peace with food and you need an intuitive eating counselor, you could sign up for a free 20-minute consultation through the link in my bio. Okay, have a great day. Hi, everyone, and welcome to my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. I know you're going to love the content here because you will gain inspiration, powerful tools and insights, and valuable knowledge. If you want more of this, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or visit me on Instagram at Gila Glassberg. I'm Gila Glassberg, a registered dietitian and intuitive eating counselor. I've come to realize by counseling many, many women that this work is much deeper and greater than food and body image. It's the bigger picture challenges we face of love, belonging, acceptance, what our true values and goals are, noticing them, addressing them, and gaining skills to move forward. If you have been struggling with what your life's purpose is, or you just feel stuck in general and don't know what's holding you back, this podcast will enlighten and inspire you to take action and move forward. This podcast is about other women in the 21st century who feel that losing weight will fix all their problems or somehow meet their unmet needs. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Get Into It with Gila. I'm Gila Glassberg, registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor. And today I have the honor and privilege of interviewing Rachel Cohen. Hi, Rachel. Hi. How are you? Good. Nervous, but good. Okay, good. It's always it's always good to feel nervous. It means that you care. Rachel Seckman told me that. Um, okay, so first, let's start off by just telling the listeners, who are you? What do you do? Where do you live? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, so I am a mom of two and a dog, who's kind of like my baby also. Um, I live in Woodmere, and I work as a special ed teacher for a living. Um, I write a lot, which is more my passion. Um, I write a lot about things in the firm world that people don't like to talk about as much, um, that are a little bit taboo, and I try to just bring them into the open a little bit to get the get the conversation rolling, so that way people don't feel as alone, um, things like eating disorders or sexual abuse, things that I've experienced um, that at the time that I experienced them felt very lonely about, um, just so that I can help others feel a little less lonely. I also um, advocate for women with endometriosis. Um, So if you are listening to this and you have endometriosis, um, I'm more than happy to help. Wow. So so you're a teacher and also a writer. Especially. Yeah, I like to think so. So where do you where do you mostly write? So I started out on like like blogs around I don't know like anywhere basically online magazines blogs um, 
and then I started my own blog, which is where I like to keep my stuff just because I like having it in a central location. And um, that's basically where, where my stuff is right now. Every so often I will write on some online magazine or something like that still, but mostly it's all my blog. And people find you, like they reach out to you and ask you to write about a specific topic? No, I kind of just write about whatever I feel like. I don't like, I don't even know how many people follow me. Honestly, I don't know if anybody follows me. Um, it's more for myself in a way um, and just letting people in and letting them hear you know the things that I'm thinking about it's called midnight musings so mm-hmm. it's a lot of my musings right totally I also I heard I heard this from I, th- I think it's um Elizabeth Gilbert you know she's like a famous author yeah and I, she, I think she has a podcast and someone wrote it and said like she was trying to get into like this famous right like writing school uh, I don't know if there's such a thing whatever <laughs> English I don't know and and um, she's like, I she didn't get accepted. And she's like, I, how could I be a writer if I didn't get into school for writing? You know, and she's like, you're always a writer. Or you're always an author. And I, I've spoken about this with other clients who like like to write and I love to write. So I totally understand. Like when you have a, mes- a message that you want to get across, it's like when you're able to do that through writing. Yes, yes. But, um, you could be like not what people would technically call a good writer and still be right. a writer. It's not right. really about you know, abilities necessarily. Right. right. So, so you share openly about, about these things that you've struggled with eating disorder, sexual abuse, endometriosis. Mm-hmm. Um, were you always, were you always um, uh, confident or comfortable sharing or is that like a newer thing? Um, I would say it's pretty new. I'm, I would say a little bit more introverted, shy of my nature. Um, and for a while when I, when I had endometriosis um, about, I don't know, seven, 10 years ago, um, I started, I was feeling very alone and people would ask me about it. And um, in the beginning, you know, I would tell them just a little bit and I would get kinds of like a little bit of backlash from my family saying like, do you really have to like share these kind of things? Like maybe it's inappropriate or like, you know, maybe it's just like a little too much. And the more I heard things like that, the more I realized that I needed to speak out loud and the more I realized I needed to say more. Mm-hmm. Um, because I just can't like it's exactly for that reason that people need to hear that there are other people who experience things like that I was so lonely mm-hmm. and from there I kind of just took off writing and um, the more I felt comfortable sharing things with other people the more I started talking about it and when people would approach me and ask me to be on a podcast or ask you know to write something for their online magazine or whatever um sometimes that was the point where I would start opening up about things so it was kind of like a through the writing I got I became more healed and then I was able to talk about it even more because you realized how healing that was shedding light on a type of topic exactly so do you still get backlash from your family for sharing um no I mean like my siblings really supportive you know one one or two here and there um but mostly everybody's really supportive Right. It's interesting that you're saying that, like the fact that people were like giving you pushback made you like made your voice like a little stronger or even more because yeah. you were like, it, like, it, it's interesting because I'm, I'm thinking like, at least for me, like when I share, I'm always like, what are people going to say? What are people going to think? Am I oversharing? And right. that's like for a lot of people holds them back. Right. That's usually me. <laughs> it's not like if, you know, I'm always wondering what people think. I'm always worried about that. And it's something that I'm really trying to, to break, but it's such a hard thing to break. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I guess, I guess it was just in that time that I just felt like, no, like I got to get this out there. And I think I actually, I think that was really a growing experience for me also now that, now that you're making me think about it, um, because I'm not the person who, who pushes back on things. And I'm not the person who says you're saying no. So I'm saying yes. Right. Um, I was like the perfect child in high, you know, when I was little in high school, you know, the perfect kid. Um, so I think like in my twenties when I was sick um, and like a young mom, I think that was like my rebellious period, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of where, that's where I started, you know, right. talking right. about these things. Right. But so it's like, it's like your natural, for some people, like people push back and they're like, okay, well, I'm just going to do whatever I want. But for you, it was almost like, your authentic self shown through shine whatever the word is shined shown through, shown. Shown through. <laughs> because you were like wow like 
it just spoke to like that truth just spoke to you like I need to tell my story because like this was so healing for me this will be I know this will be healing for others yes and the more people responded positively the more I realized um that they wanted to see my authentic self wow yeah for sure I love your authentic self I love your authentic self. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so c- let's go back to the eating disorder, if you're comfortable to share. When, yeah, when, sure. when did that start? So my eating disorder started in eighth grade. I was uh, like 13, I guess, 13, 14. Um, it started out a little weirdly because I, I almost had a friend who like convinced me that I had an eating disorder. I thought, I, I mean, honestly, I don't remember so much, but I thought I was pretty fine with my eating. Um, and then I had a friend who was like, oh, you, you know, you're so obsessed with calories and fat. I didn't remember being that way, but she would like mention everything that was in my food and all like the fat, cal- the fat and the calories. And, um, you know, that started me like the idea percolating in my brain a little bit. And then um, a different friend had lost her mom and she stopped eating and she got a lot of attention for it. At this time, like I wouldn't, admit that to anybody because I was like oh my gosh that's so embarrassing like I needed attention that's why I was doing it but um I did (laughs) and Mm. now I know you know when I look back and through therapy I I now know why but um you know I just that's really when it started and um the attention I was getting the positive you know the negative attention actually which is attention nonetheless Mm -hmm. um and then from there I found that it also was very helpful um, in solving certain um, prob- emotional problems that I was dealing with. So I felt like my eating disorders helped those issues. That, okay, so this is like such an important thing to almost like uh, pull apart for listeners is that um, even a destructive behavior always has like a helpful counterpart, right? That otherwise we yes. wouldn't do it. And I know you talk about that a lot actually. Right. And, and, and the praise reinforce only reinforces that whether or not it's positive. Right. So, or the attention, whether or not it's positive, like everybody Mm -hmm. likes to get attention, no matter what, especially somebody who feels like they're not getting enough, even if it's totally subconscious. And especially at age 13, we don't have like a full level of self-awareness, even if we're self-aware, even if we're naturally self-aware. Right. For sure. So you, so you were, so you, you stopped eating, like you, you were restricting or you were feeling like, Um, really, I just stopped. Mm -hmm. Um, it was, I remember like the end of eighth grade, it was our Washington trip. And, um, I just didn't eat for three days and I just like, I really, excuse me, enjoyed it. Like everybody was like, Oh my gosh, you know, you're not eating. What's wrong with you? Telling the teachers. It was the first time that I felt like people saw, saw me. (laughs) Um, and, from there, I remember the day after the Washington trip, I came home and I walked down the stairs in the morning and I passed out like right on the floor. Um, that was like exciting for me almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there, things progressed. Uh, exciting and confusing, right? Because even oh, from the expression sure. I'm on sorry. Disease, yeah. right, right. Like definitely, you know, exciting in the sense that like, you know, I felt like I was a full-fledged eating disorder. I don't know what person. Right. Um, but also completely confusing and, um, a little bit of like, like anger at myself almost that like, what are you doing and why, like, what is this about? Um, You were curious curious about why? Yeah, I was at the time, um, because I felt like, um, I felt like there had to be a reason why I was doing it. I've always been very like intuitive and like, you know, in, in a way, like, attached to my body, although, I mean, like, we, I'm sure we'll get into this, but, like, when I dissociated, when I, after um, I was abused, but I'm sure we could either talk about it or not talk about it, but yeah. um, I, there was a part of me that was um, very intuitive with myself, and I always wanted to know, like, why I was doing things, um, but then I kind of just assumed that it was, at that point, I decided it was attention, and that was it, and there was just something wrong with me that I needed so much attention. Interesting. Okay. So, um, after the, after this Washington trip, it, it was like ob- obvious to yourself and to others that you were, that you really were struggling with anorexia. Um, I don't necessarily know that it was like diagnosable anorexia yet, but it was, there was definitely an eating disorder. Going. 
So you were, you um, fainted from not eating for three days and there was a part yes. of you that felt really happy about it. Yes. Sca uh, confused, probably scared, curious. And then, then what happened? Life went on. Um, somehow nobody said anything to my parents at the time in eighth grade. Um, and then when we went to ninth grade, it kind of became like my identity almost. Um, like I was the girl with an eating disorder. That's all. Mm -hmm. And at that point, it was basically anorexia. So mm -hmm. everybody looked at me like this, you know, Raquel is anorexia. Um, I made I made very close relationships with, with teachers that way because they were so worried about me. But at the same time, um, I had this like label that wasn't great. But I persisted. I lived on water and pretzels mm -hmm. for you know a bunch of years. Mm -hmm. And your parents didn't know this time, still no. didn't know. No. Um, you know, there's, there's what to be said on that, but right. teachers tried to tell them a bunch of times. Mm -hmm. And then what, what eventually happened? Like, did you, were you hospitalized? Did you, like, were you in therapy? Like, what happened from there? Um, I started therapy, let's say 11th grade. That was one thing my parents did do. Um, but nobody, um, I don't know. It wasn't like on the forefront of people's minds that like maybe there was something like really, really wrong that I needed to be hospitalized or I needed to be in an immune disorder clinic or something. Um, I'm not really sure why. I think there is a certain stigma that goes along with um, body types. And although I was very, very, very thin, um, I was also sh small as a whole, like I'm very short. So people just saw me as like the small little girl and mm -hmm. um, they figured like I was supposed to be this small. So that's, that's like my feeling on things. And, and that's why they didn't worry as much. Nobody saw me without clothes on and, you know, right. I was very careful about that. Right. So I, that's, I was kind of trying to also like uncover that. Like, was it the type of thing that for some people who are str struggling with anorexia, they're so, it's so obvious that they're looking for the attention. They know it and everyone else knows it. And for some people, they really don't want people to start noticing the eating disorder because they don't want, they really want to stay sick. Right. They don't realize that they're sick, you know? Right. So there were certain parts of attention that I liked. It was like, I almost wanted selective attention. I wanted certain people to pay attention to me, but I didn't want other people to pay attention to me. Um, yeah, I, I wore very baggy clothes so that most people didn't see. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't allow like the world basically to know what was going on. I would, I say the world, I'm saying like most people in my grade or, you know, outside of those teachers that I wanted to know and my best friends, I didn't really want anybody else knowing. And I was very, very secretive and very good at keeping that secret. Mm -hmm. Got it. So, um, so we didn't, we're, we didn't talk about the abuse. I don't know if we're going to get into it, but maybe just briefly, I know that you, you shared a blog about that yeah and I will say I will just say that at least from my perspective I think that we're getting better in the Jewish community shedding light on taboo topics and uh, it's funny because like I'll just say that in we're in the SRC made to so I'm trying really really hard in these 10 days not to like listen to anything like considered non-Jewish like um a podcast like more Jewish podcasts or Jewish books whatever and I realized I was listening to Yimima Mizrahi last night and I realized that what the more like I pay attention to the good things in our community, the more there is versus the more, you know, I know that we need to fix things, of course, but it, it, there is uh, obviously we're trying to keep things not spoken about because we're maybe we're afraid it's going to spread or we're, we're afraid right. that it's going to put a bad light on our community. But obviously right. that's, that's not the truth. We need to speak right. about the problems in our community, whether whether there's a better way to do it, we don't have to blast our, all of our issues, you know. But I do think that it's it is important. People have these experiences, eating disorders, sexual abuse, um, right. you know, mental illness, and it is important that like someone has to talk about it, you know. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that we could just say that um, the part of the eating disorder was getting attention, and part of the not eating was. Do you think that it was numbing from the pain in your body? from the abuse. Definitely. Um, that's what I wrote in my, in the essay that I wrote on the abuse is that um, I recognize the fact that having an empty stomach and the, the, the pains of an empty stomach 
overshadowed the pains that I felt um, in other areas of life, the pain of my trauma. Um, So that was definitely, um, that's why it was useful. That's another reason why it was useful to me. Um, Additionally, what I found was that um, when I did, because it was childhood sexual abuse, a lot of times what happens, and I know it happened with me, is that people don't, um, people who were sexually abused when they're children, they feel like they don't want to grow up in a way. Um, and I didn't want my body to change. And I was, you know, maybe I was worried that it would happen again, or I'm not really sure, you know, why, um, but I didn't want my body to change. And I realized also, or I learned that when I didn't eat, my period stopped and my body shrunk. And I was not, you know, as an adult physically as I had used, I had been. So that was something that also... Right. Yeah. I, I don't want this to, I, I guess I'll put in a trigger warning for people who are struggling. Right. right? right. Um, but, but I, I wanted Sorry. to ask you, no, it's okay. This is important. Okay. Right. I wanted um, to ask you that if you could reflect on the, on the years that you were really struggling with restricting and it was helping you in a lot of ways because you were disassociating from your body, could you reflect and see what, how it was hurting you? Like, are you able to see that? You mean like how, you mean more than physically? I'm not sure. Yeah, more than physically. Physically, obviously, you're saying. Oh, okay. Even, even the fact that you're yes. saying physically, you're saying that it was hurting you physically. Okay, yes, right? you're right. There's, there's definitely, um, it's, it's not all, it's not any goodness. There's not any goodness in it, although there is, you know, there is a reason that it helps. It serves a purpose, as you say, mm-hmm. but yes, um, I'm just thinking back on it, like it, it numbs me. It didn't only numb, you know, my body, like in the sense that like, I literally, I almost didn't feel my body. I was just, you know, dissociating from it, but it also, it numbs my brain. I didn't feel emotions mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't feel happy. I didn't even feel sad. I was just kind of going through the motions of life. Um, I couldn't enjoy things. I couldn't enjoy, you know, food is such a big part of it, of the, the Jewish community and, and eating in, you know, with families and enjoying ourselves. It's such an, food is very important in so many yeah. ways and, mm-hmm. and socially it's important. And so when our friends were, my family was eating, my friends were eating and I would just sit there. It, it felt lonely. Um, and it, it also felt, it was like very isolating. Like I felt like there was something I didn't belong um and even though I so badly wanted to be able to be a part of it at the time I wouldn't have treated it right right um yeah it's really like like I guess we're I guess we're both being careful with our words but in a way it's like beautiful the way you're describing it because for some people who are still in the throes of an eating disorder and they hear what you're saying, it probably is, at least they could, they could relate to you, but at least they could see the other side of it. Because when you're in it, that's why I said, right, like when part of my work, right, and part of the intuitive eating work, or at least the way that I use it, is that we always have to understand how the restricting or the binging or any behavior that isn't serving us is serving us in some way, because we wouldn't be doing it otherwise. Right. And it helps with the shame and the judgment and the self-criticism, you know, because like, we're as humans, like we look for ways to, to help. It's just a survival mechanism. So I think that that's always like focusing more on the positive, focusing more on like, wow, like this is the, the skill that you somehow developed, whether it was also really hurting you, right. it was also really helping you. So, um, but now obviously reflecting back on it, you see how it was hurting you. 100%. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So could you walk us through like what happened? Like in terms of where we were, we were up to in terms of your teenagehood, like what happened after that with your eating? Sure. So, um, I would say around, um, well, I know for sure what it, when it was at the end of 10th grade, I met my future husband. Um, and there was something in the way he respected me and, um, cared about me no matter what. And he also didn't try to shove food into me. Like that was, you know, that's something that a lot of people 
do and that makes a ton of sense right um you know they try to feed you and he kind of he didn't obviously like support me in what I was doing but he also didn't try to to save me mm-hmm. um because at the time that's not what we needed but he I knew that he cared about me no matter what and what you gonna say something? I love what you said he supported me but he didn't try to save me I just love the, the terminology uh, yeah he, that's exactly what he did and because he did that and and because of of those feelings that he had for me suddenly like my body my my mind my body started I started feeling again and it was in a way painful it was not in a way it was extremely painful um but at the same time these feelings uh these positive feelings of love and just enjoyment and and just you know all the positive things I felt about him um it made me want to get better. And it wasn't like I was getting better for him. I was getting better for me so that I could be with him. Right, right. And um, slowly but surely, 11th grade, 12th grade, um, I started eating more. It was a very scary process. Um, You know, there were, healing is not linear, as I always say. And there were, you know, times where I fell back and there were times where I went forward. Um, I, because I didn't, um, because I had the issues with anorexia, um, when my friends went to Israel, I didn't go, um, I wasn't allowed to go, which was something that devastated me. Um, but it did also give me more time to focus on getting better. Um, so should I continue on the timeline? Yeah. 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 I was going to just ask you, so what happened after that? Yeah. So um, I, was, I went to college. Um, I struggled a little bit with like over exercising there um, for a little while. And then I got married. Did your husband, um, did your, hus- your future husband at the time, did he go to Israel? He went to Israel. Um, we're the same age. Excuse me, I'm sorry. That must have been hard. No problem. I'm also going to take a drink. Um, it was extremely hard. We also agreed to only talk every Rosh Kodesh. Mm-hmm. I mean, because we wanted to see what we were like without the other person. We needed right. to make sure that, it, you know, we actually wanted to be together. Right. It was very hard. Yeah. And all my friends were there. Right. So, that must have been so hard. Yeah. In the long run, it made me stronger because I went into college not knowing anybody. And then I went to Israel the year after and I didn't know anyone. And um, it brought me on my shell a little bit because I had to meet new people. Um, I didn't have the comfort of my friends anymore. Where did you go to college? I went to Neve. Mm. Oh, sorry. To college. I went to Stern for one semester and then I went to Queens. Got it. And then I went to, um, before I went to Queens College, I went to Neve for four months. Oh, that's so nice. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I also went to Neve. Did we talk about that? I went to Neve one summer. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. I didn't know that. I went to Tomar Devora for seminary and I went to Neve the following summer for like, they call it like Neve Buffet. Like I just went to like all the classes. Isn't it the best? Amazing. I loved it. I loved Such it. Such a good it experience. So yeah, it was amazing. I wish I could. I always talk about, about it now. Like, should I go back for a week? You know? I wish. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah, I would love to go. I really would. Uh, okay, so you got to go. Okay, so so you got married. So you went to Stern, you went to Queens and then you went to Israel? And then we got engaged in Israel because mm-hmm. um, um, Ellie was there. Ellie, my future husband, was there for um, Shana Bet. And um, after four months, I went home to kind of get ready to get married. And Ellie stayed. And um, when he came back, he came back in like Mayish time, and we we got married in June. That's so cute. So, <laughs> super fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you guys knew each other for a long time, and. Yeah. And then is that when like the eating disorder acted up again or you were doing well? Like how did that go? Um, for a while I did well. Um, I was definitely in a better place. And um, once, I would say once I started, um, okay, I'll just give a little bit of background that when I, when I got married, I started having flashbacks of what had happened to me with the abuse when I was younger. Um, and because of that, it brought me to a very bad place again. 
And I, um, I definitely went back in terms of my eating mm-hmm. um, because it's, it's easy to fall back into patterns like that if, right. because it did one to comfort us. It's your coping. Yeah, right. it's a coping mechanism. Exactly. So I struggled with that, but I also knew that I really, really wanted to have kids. Right. So, um, and I knew that in high school, I wouldn't have been able to have kids. So I, that was something that, that I needed to keep in mind. And so it actually did stop me from going too far into, into the anorexia again. Right. I want to just say here for people who are confused about this, I, I, I feel like I say this every single day, but I'll just say it for people who don't know that when it comes to eating disorder, your body is going to hold on to the things that are most important for survival, not for having kids, not for um, anything else, but survival. So like if like for people who are struggling with anorexia, they sometimes have like, you know, cold extremities, like your body doesn't need your extremities to live, but it does need your heart and it needs all your vital organs to live. So that's why the blood supply will come more into the middle of your body for your more vital organs. So the same thing with um, getting your period, you don't need to have your period in order, in order to survive. You need your period to get, you know, pregnant and to maintain life. Right. But, um, but you definitely don't need it to survive. So for people who are listening, that's, uh, like a very important thing that you're eating enough and that you're getting your period because your body wants to be, you ha- your body knows that if you're able to support life or not, which is really cool. Exactly. Yeah. So that was a motivator for you. Yes, that was, that was a motivator for me oh, at that point. Okay. Yeah. So you never were working with like a dietitian to tell you like how much you needed to eat or anything like that? Um, really, no. <laughs> um, I think like in like 11th grade, I went to an eating disorder clinic once or twice and they kind of evaluated me and they told me that I needed to be a certain weight. Um, and then I never went back again. And I'm honestly, I'm not really sure what happened there. Mm-hmm. Um, aside from that, I didn't go to a dietitian until um, years after I had kids. Do you think like looking back on this, tell me if this is like triggering to, to think, but do you think like, in that, in that time when like, we already had something like sparked, like you wanted to gain weight to be able to get pregnant. Do you think that if the treatment would have been like, obviously like that's not, that's only a motivating factor when it's happening, but then when the motivating factor goes away, like you're not better. Right. Right. So do you think that that would have helped you or, or you don't, you just don't know. Like you're saying when I was younger, at that time, like when you, like a lot of times I'm looking like for a motivator for somebody to eat, you know, like let's say right, yeah. getting pregnant. That's like yeah. something that would really help spark the treatment. It wouldn't right. treat it though. Cause once the motivator right. is gone, the person's still most of the time struggling. Right. Exactly. So that's exactly what happens with me. Right. Um, so yeah. So yes, had it, um, I definitely think it would have been a good motivator for me. Like you're saying in the past, right? That's what you're asking. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm saying like, yeah, here, like if somebody would have told you you need X amount of, you know, carbs, protein, fat, this is going to sustain you, just like checking on you, encouraging you, like that would oh, be. Oh, that's a, what you mean. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. I get it. Um, no, I think that would have made things worse. <laughs> at the time. So? Why? Yes. Um, because when, when they focus, maybe, the, maybe like, you need to eat a certain amount of this and this and this wouldn't have been too bad, like a little bit of a meal plan, but um, anything really rigid or, um, you know, like you have to eat this, you know, very specific, like a handful of this. And then, you know, um, that would, that brings in like all sorts of control issues. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that would have made things worse. Like when I say control issues, I'm saying like, I would have felt like it needs to be exactly what they tell me to do. Right. And so um, I think that really would have brought up other, like, excuse me, um, other, yeah, other struggles that I had. trying to control you or things trying to control you or you trying to control yourself. Exactly. All the, all the above. All the above. Yeah, I got it. Um, Okay. So, so you were able to have two kids. Baruch Hashem. They're so like cute. The we used to be neighbors. Let's just, yes. you know, like we shared everyone. the same house. We shared the same house back in the day, um, probably like six years ago. Yeah. 
it wasn't even that long ago yeah right. it was like six seven years ago yeah something like that yeah it's funny how these things yeah. work out you know years later um yeah so 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 Baruch Hashem, we were able to have two kids so then 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 after you had your children you fell back into the eating disorder like how did that happen um I didn't really have time to do that because at that point I got sick um I started having terrible pain um right after my, well, during my pregnancy with my son um and from there was a, became the whole journey that I had with endometriosis um I couldn't focus on anything at the time besides the pain that I was in um but actually because I wasn't focusing on it um and because let's okay I'm gonna rewind a second it's not because I wasn't focusing on it um because the rest of my sentence was going to be I started gaining weight mm-hmm. but that's not true it's not just that because I'm not focusing on my eating disorder I'm going to start you know gaining too much weight it's not about yeah. that um but what I would say is that um yeah that I just didn't have time period I just did not have time to think about eating not eating I I was like trying to survive with my pain Right. And at that time, you didn't know what you had. Right. For a good 10 years, nobody knew what was going on. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. Starting from when I was like a teenager, actually, nobody knew why the symptoms were happening. Um, yeah. What is endometriosis? So it's basically um, when the line, okay, when um, something that's very similar to the lining of the uterus grows on the wrong parts of the body. Um, and it makes lesions and cysts and um, can give you tremendous, tremendous pain, all sorts of symptoms. Um, it's a very, very difficult disease to deal with. Um, technically, there is no cure. And uh, there are ways to get the endometriosis out of your body, but I, I won't go into them. If you do have issues, though, anybody can ask me. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, that's basically, that's basically the gist of it. How did you get the diagnosis? Do you mind me asking you? No, not at all. Um, It took a while, a lot of doctors. Um, One doctor told me that he thought, it was the first time I'd ever heard of the word, that he thought maybe I had endometriosis. And he was well-meaning, but he wasn't a specialist. Uh, He went inside me. He he did a laparoscopic procedure. um, And he, he did find some endometriosis. Um, enough to be diagnosed as having it, which was a big relief for me just to know that it wasn't all in my head. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, um, he was not able to get it all out because he didn't really know that you have to be a specialist in order to do this. He didn't know the correct surgery that needs to be done for it. But that was my first diagnosis. And I have to tell you, it was one of the biggest reliefs in my life to know for that sure. I wasn't making it all up. Right. Yeah. Part of you thought like, oh, I'm just making it up. Like this pain is like, there's no diagnosis. That's just in my head. It wasn't just me. It was all the doctors telling me that it was all in my head, my family, my doctors, everybody. And, and eventually I believed it. That's so sad. Crazy. Yeah. I have to take a minute to to sit with. (laughs) Wow. It's hard because a lot of time, at least like what I, see and believe is that a lot of times we do have emotional pain that is manifesting in our body that we don't want to address that's right so it does make sense that people say that think that but at the same time it's like how could you tell someone it's in your head how could you do that right I don't know it definitely does make sense to a degree um I mean pain you know our bodies and our minds are so connected right um and it wasn't um when people said that to me in the beginning it wasn't such a big deal Cause I was like, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe it is. They would tell me that like, maybe it was because I had trauma in the past that I was right. feeling pain. Okay. Right. That's possible. But when right. doctors are telling me that instead of trying to find a diagnosis, um, you know, that's when it gets. Right. Right. Like you shouldn't thing. really give up until like you really turned every stone. Right. Exactly. Once you've exhausted all the possibilities, then you can start talking about maybe it's a mental thing or, or you could do both at the same time, Right. but just right. don't let it be instead of. Right. Don't let, like, don't live in pain. Like no one has to live like that. No, nobody should ever, ever live like that. And 
I wouldn't wish endometriosis on my worst enemy. Right. So after you had a procedure, you like, are you still struggling with chronic pain? Like, how does that manifest now? So um, I struggled for many years um, before I found a, a specialist in Atlanta um, who did the proper surgery on me called excision surgery, um, where they actually get out the root of the endometriosis. And um, once that was done, I remember he told me um, in six weeks, you're going to start to feel better. And six weeks on the dot, I started having no pain for the first time in 10, 15 years. It was unbelievable. That is crazy. It was the biggest bracha. Um, I can't even tell you. I still, I can still feel it. Like that, that moment where I was like, where I woke up and I was like, I, I don't have pain right now. It was so crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so now you don't struggle with any pain? No, I have no pain. Um, throughout the process, I did, um, unfortunately have a hysterectomy it is very much not a cure for endometriosis but it was one of the things that a well-meaning doctor who didn't really know what was going on um, convinced me it would you know that it would help the endometriosis um, so because I had the hysterectomy and because um, I had the excision surgery it's very very rare that endometriosis would grow again in my body mm-hmm. but let me just repeat again it is hysterectomy is not a cure for endometriosis in any way shape or form right I'm so sorry I'm really thank sorry. you thank you it's, yeah. it's been a long haul yeah yeah that's it's just like so painful um are you comfortable to share with like the audience like where you're how you're doing now with your eating sure sure and also I want to hear like if you're comfortable to share also like how you became interested in intuitive eating like how that how you learned about that yeah so when I was sick um I gained a lot a lot of weight because of a lot of different medications that I was on and because I wasn't moving at all I was on the couch for years um and at the time once I felt better I felt like the weight I had no idea about intuitive eating at the time, health and exercise, appreciate, you know, body appreciation or acceptance, positivity. Um, at the time, all I knew was that it was the last reminder of having endo. So it was like, I had to get rid of it because it, I had to like be done. I had to be back to where I was before I started mm-hmm. with the endometriosis. Mm-hmm. And um, first of all, now I know that when you go through something like that, you never go back to who you were, you become a new person. Um, But besides that, I recognize the fact that um, losing weight is is not everything. And certainly being thinner was not going to make me happier or feel like I had closed out my trauma anymore. Right. It's interesting that you, I mean, now we're like analyzing and overanalyzing your life, but I'm saying that from, I guess, from my perspective, listening to this story, it's like you, that's like what we call like a limiting belief or an automatic negative thought, right? Like you had for some, for some reason for maybe, you know, or maybe you don't know that you had a belief that the weight was a representation of your illness. Right. And if you lost the weight, you would almost like lose the past or the history of your illness. I think I was hoping for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that, that is like, it was a thought that came into my mind for so, for so many, like for a bunch of years, really. Just like that automatic, like you said, it just would come into my mind constantly. Like you got to lose that weight. Right. The last right. piece of your, you know, of your sickness. Right. So then how yeah. did you, how did you learn about intuitive eating? So um, I'm trying to remember. I want to say it's from you, Gila. I oh, think I started, yeah, I think, well, yeah, I started following you and I, we had spoken and like, so you know, that. yeah, no, for real. Now that I think about it, I'm sorry, I haven't thanked you for it in the past, but it no, didn't even occur to me until now. I'm so um, happy but, that people like are learning from the content, you know, you, you never yeah. know, like reading it. Yeah. Oh, people are learning. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, I think I posted on like Facebook one time for you, like a Facebook group. And I was wondering like, what is intuitive eating? I was like right. curious about it. I started to read up on it. Um, I started following more people on like social media who um, talk about intuitive eating. And um, I read the book and I realized that it was something that was going to free me wow. from the shackles of dieting right. and the shackles of, of needing to lose weight. After, like you said, the thought, like, I need to lose this weight, I need to lose this weight. Were you actively trying to lose like, the weight? Were you like yeah. going back to restricting, dieting? Like what was going on for you? I tried restricting, nothing was working. Um, and I convinced myself that I was a failed anorexic, um, which is another one of those very erroneous thoughts. Um, mm-hmm. First of all, the fact that I've learned from you that they're both sides of the same spectrum. They're both different sides of the same spectrum. Um, you know, eating too much, or, well, binge eating, I would say, right. and, um, and anorexia and restricting. Um, but sorry, I lost my train of thought. No problem. Um, what were we just saying? So, I, right. I, you said you, uh, you were a fat in the world, you were a fat anorexic and you're like, right. that was like, you realized that was also like an erroneous thought. Right. Um, and from there I was, um, the doctors told me that it would be a good idea to get, um, a lap band. So I tried the lap band route. Uh, what doctors told you that? I'm just curious. I, those were actually not, doctors, not the names um, of the doctors, but I'm no, saying no, like no. you were still going back to like let's say follow up about your endometriosis. Like where did that come in? Yeah. So actually, um, I was in the throes of endometriosis when the doctors told me to get a lap band. They told me that if I would lose weight, um, it would make the endometriosis go away. So I tried that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was not a very smart move on their part to convince me of that. Um, and it wasn't, yeah, it was just not a good idea um, because mm. I, my body was in so much trauma that right. first of all, it wouldn't have helped me. And it, it didn't make me lose any weight, right. but even like, and even if it did, it was dangerous for me and unhealthy in every way. Right. So that was just another, um, I had it removed eventually. Um, so I, that was another way that I had tried to lose weight, um, just active dieting. I, I used to say, I wish I had a sign that I could put on me saying, it's not my fault, I'm fat, right. if you can right. believe it. Because we feel like we have to- I can to, believe it, I can believe it. I've heard, I've heard people say like, I, I wish I could yeah. just unzip my fat too. Yeah, yeah, like we feel like we have to prove to the world that like, we're, like, we're told that there's something wrong with it to the mm-hmm. point where we have to prove that like, oh, it's not my fault that I'm this way. Right, right. You know? Because the then, world like looks at people who are in larger bodies and like, oh, they're lazy. It's their fault. They're eating a certain way. And it's like, no, bodies change. Yeah. Like bodies yeah. gain weight, lose weight all the time from like so many things that are not in our control at all. Right. For sure. It's so, just really, it's unfortunate. Yeah. Like, thank you for shedding light on that for sure. But, and I think that a little bit like the health at every size movement is like helping, you know, that narrative that like so much of the world talks about like prejudice and like, you know, um, racism and like people who are in larger bodies are also like, like they're still judged. They're still, you know, whatever discriminated against. Yes. In so many ways, like listening to maintenance phase now. And it's like, you learn so much about it's a podcast. Have you ever? No. What is that? Oh my gosh, Gila. It's amazing. It's, do you know who um, Aubrey Gordon is? No. She goes by your fat friends on Instagram. Okay. Um, she is incredible and she, um, she's a beautiful writer and she has this podcast um, called maintenance phase and they talk about everything. They talk about BMI, you know, BMI scale. They talk about um, all these different fad diets. They talk about um, the obesity obesity epidemic. They talk mm-hmm. about whatever. So so many things. So um, I learned a lot about fat phobia, or as they call it, anti fat bias mm-hmm. um, from them. So interesting. And it's so important. It's By the way, I just so want to say for like who's ever listening and is like learning about intuitive eating, struggling with intuitive eating, whatever. Like I always say that like 
think about it years and years and years you were like struggling with anorexia or struggling with restriction or believing that like that was still like a good thing being so skinny was probably praised you know and like then you learn about intuitive eating and then like you let's say some people do like one or two sessions with me or they just follow me or they follow other intuitive eating dietitians and they're like I don't know I just still want to diet I'm like of course you still want to diet you've been dieting for 30 years (laughs) one podcast like yeah listen to podcasts like like educate yourself like and like you said, like when you read the book, you were like, this is my freedom. Like it is your freedom. And like, hold on to that because like, you don't have to stay stuck in, none of us have to stay stuck in like what diet culture kind of like convinces us that we have to stay stuck in. Yeah. Yes. It's hard when um, you have, let's say family or friends who are trying to convince you otherwise, or you, who you have to like fight with, yeah. to try to convince them. After a while, you realize that you, you're not gonna be able to convince the world. Um, not even necessarily your family and you just need to focus on yourself and focus on you know doing the work yourself right I feel like also it's important to know that like that's a really important boundary when it comes to like convincing people about intuitive eating like I think that everyone could heal differently I don't think that I, I happen to think intuitive eating could help anyone but I also think that people have a really serious block to it because of the world that we live in and like mm-hmm. I think we all have to like acknowledge that and just be okay with that. And we don't part of like fighting with people trying to convince them is like such an energy suck for us. Like it's so important to have a boundary that like, okay, they don't know why I'm doing this. Like they're seeing me eat a piece of cheesecake and they're judging me. And like, that's them. And this is me. It's so hard, but it's so important. Yeah. And that, that literally circles back to the beginning when we were talking about caring about what other people think of us. Right. Right. Like we need to say, Listen, I'm, I'm not going to care what they think because right. I know what I'm doing is good for me. Right, right. And that's, I guess, part of like life is that we don't, it's just like we look at someone and we're, we like kind of like naturally judge them. We're like, we don't know the whole picture. They don't know the whole picture. And like, it's just the way it is. Like, we just don't always know the whole picture. Right, exactly. So um, I want to, I want to like sort of wrap up, but I want to know like, okay. if you're comfortable to share with the audience, like how do you, how you feel like you're doing now? And maybe there's I something I can help you with today. I, I mean, you know that I, I still struggle with um, a lot of his body trust we've spoken about, um, trusting my body, um, believing that it's important no matter what I've eaten the day before, no matter what I weigh, it's important to eat no matter what. Um, for me, it's about learning to nourish you know, realize that food is nourishing for us and um, food is life. Right. Um, and what's something that we're working on is just, right, we had spoken about um, eating in public. It's right. something that's right. very hard for me. Right. So there's always the struggle. I mean, like I said, healing isn't linear and it's a, it's a process. So, and I have to convince myself of that sometimes because it's right. hard. Right. So... Um, so eating in public is something that's like very triggering for you. Yes. So what, let's say somebody, I'm sure somebody listening to this could relate. I could relate. Um, what are, what are like one or two things that have helped you? I want to say that I'm at the point where something has helped me. Is it okay that I say that I'm not? Of course. I'm not, I'm not there yet where I found something that helps me. I'm not at the point yet where I feel comfortable really eating in public, um, but that's something that I'm really, really hoping to, to get to. Thank you for your honesty. Could you, I guess, I know that you're very open and I think it's probably so healing for people to hear. Could you, we go, could we go there? Like what comes up for you when you think of like a moment when you were trying to eat in public or when you have to eat in public or the, the anxiety around that? Like what's, what's so scary about it? Can I close my eyes for a second and kind of, of course, go there. inside myself? Yeah. Um, I think overall, it's just this fear of, of being judged um, because I'm such a harsh, you know, critic of myself. Um, I worry that other people are judging me just as strongly mm-hmm. um, and the need to appear perfect. So when people... I feel like when people are judging me and they're saying in which in my brain, people are saying to me, like, 
oh my gosh, she's so fat. She doesn't deserve to be eating that or something like that, which I know they're probably not saying. It's usually me who's saying it. Um, but, you know, when I just, yeah, I, th I think it's just that like that fear of being judged. Does that fear of being judged come up like in a lot of places in your life, not just with your eating? question i'm not sure you can think about it so let me know let me think about it for a second um yes i would say yes okay so it's like this is more like your pattern that like in general like maybe we could call it social anxiety or we could call it like just um wanting to please people wanting to be good. Yeah, like yeah. you said, I heard you say that a lot of times I was always the perfect girl. I was always so good. People pleasing, right. doing what people expect of you. So that yeah. just manifests with your eating also. Yes, definitely. Do you definitely. feel like it's a handicap for you? Like, do you feel like you want to be able to eat in public or not so much? Yes. No, I definitely want to. I, that's like one of the things I've been wanting to do for so long or like be able to eat at a kiddish, like, right. I know every like most people have trouble with that just because it's hard to like balance the food right. on your lap and it right. feels awkward. Um, right. But like just the thought of like going to people's house for lunch on Sabbath and like not picking at my food or not putting salad on my plate and that's it. Like right. it right. sounds so enjoyable. Right. When you look at other people eating and like whether they're in a small body or a large body, do you feel judgment towards them? Never. Never. That's the thing. I always tell my friends and just anybody like I am the least judgmental person you'll ever meet for other people. Right. Like I, wonder, myself. I, I, I find it to be helpful that like when you're when you're in the moment or even before you before you go to a situation where you might have to eat in public, like watching like your daughter eat, watching her enjoying mm -hmm. the food, you know, watching yeah. yourself as a the early, like your earliest childhood memory like when you were happy around food watching yourself enjoying the food in your head like what would that feel like what would that be like you know just because like it's so hard it is so 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 hard it's so triggering and there's so much history for for you around your body around food like we can't like deny that but I just feel like especially to remember that like when you your value system is that when you're around people eating you don't think anything like there's no judgment so like even if someone else thinks something about you which they're probably not it's really them not you because your true self like doesn't really eat don't eat whatever works you know right I really like that idea of imagining like my watching my daughter eat or imagine that because when I think about like what would I want you know if my child ever came to me and said you know I really just don't want to eat in public like my heart would hurt for them right um and yeah, just seeing how nourishing food is for my children, right? I think can really help me there. Right. I love that you're using the you using the word nourishing and like that you said food is life because like we say that in Judaism, right? Like food, if we didn't eat, like our neshama would leave our body. That's how we right. glue ourselves to our neshama, right? So like, yes, we all so many of us struggle with these negative feelings towards food, but like that's why I said like watching your child eat, like what that's who doesn't love like as a mother like making a good dinner and like just oh watching their kids enjoy yes. it. Yes. Whether it's like you know whole wheat pasta or like um or like, you know, fried mac and cheese balls. Like, it doesn't matter right. like what the food is. It's just like, they're, exactly. it, they're relishing it. They're smelling yes. it. They like it. And then I love feeding people. Yes, yes. seriously, my kids. Yes. Yes, yes. 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 Um, okay, so let's, um, I wanna, I, I think we're gonna end, but if there's, is there something you wanna leave the listeners with? Where, where can they find you? What's your name on Instagram? I will tell you that. I just wanna say one thing very quickly. I, yeah. I wanna make sure that anybody who listens um, knows that it wasn't, like it doesn't, I feel like I made it sound too easy that I healed from eating disorder. Like I was like, oh yeah, I met my husband and right, right. Uh, you know, I just got better. But like I, anybody who is struggling, like I want you to know that I'm with you and that, that I know that it is not an easy thing to get better from it. No. Um, so I just wanted to, you know, make sure that people hear that. 100%. And, e and even just to remember that this was an hour long conversation of right. like you know 30 plus years so 
Right. Exactly. <laughs> There's ups exactly. and downs and it's not linear and, you, and you're still healing and we're all still healing. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so my Instagram is um, Rachel Dar Cohen, Rachel underscore D-A-A-R underscore C-O-H-E-N. And my blog is Midnight Musings. Um, it's a, like one of those free Wix sites. So it's a very long, strange, um, you know, address. But like if, if you look up Midnight Musings and you write my name and you should find it. I'll put it in. I'll put everything in the show notes so people can find you. Okay. All right. Thanks, okay. Sheila. Thank you. This was so great. Thank you for coming on. My pleasure. Take Bye. Care. Bye. Thank you all so much for being here on my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. If you'd like to learn more about what I do and what intuitive eating is, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or follow me on Instagram at Gila Glassberg. Thank you so much. Have a great day.